welcome to XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women travelers. I'm Inez Bellina. And I'm Kathy Pokerbeck. And together we're XX Will Travel. We have been taking a bit of a hiatus in August for several reasons. One, we were traveling like crazy, and we also decided to revamp the format. As some of you may have noticed, uh, we are only two now. Kenna is devoting her time to her true love and passion, stand-up comedy. We wish her the best. Check her out if you get the chance around Chicago. We hope for the best for her. So, kind of a bit of the revamp. Let's let's share with you what we're going to do. As part of our revamp format, sometimes... You will get the dulcimer tones of Kathy and Inez discussing the latest and greatest topics in independent women's travel. Or you may listen to the podcast and find we have special guests. Yes, we are super excited about our special guests. We have way more amazing women travelers on our friendship roster than than I expected, at least. We, we put out a call for, basically, for the rotating third guest slot, and we're overwhelmed by the number of responses and the topics that people proposed. Like, our next podcast is going to be about disasters. Yes, with the lovely Anita Megler. Which is something we would have never considered had Anita not shared her story of being in an earthquake in Japan. Correct. And we are also going to have Kim Nelson, who is a hiking and camping enthusiast, tell us all about that form of travel, which is great because neither Kathy nor I know anything about how to do that. So we have good things on the horizons, and thank you for sticking around. And if you happen to be a woman traveler who has, you know, a crazy story about traveling or is an expert in some travel niche or a location and want to be on the podcast, um, let us know. Just email us at xxwilltravel at gmail.com or contact us through Facebook and Twitter, and we might have you on our show. So now on to our summer vacation. So, Kathy, where did you go this August? Well, this August, I went to St. Louis, Missouri, which is quite exciting. And my big trip was to the United Kingdom. I went to London and Oxford and also to Krakow, Poland. So why did you decide to go to to those places, to all three? Well, I have friends in St. Louis and in Oxford. So I went to visit my friends, and then I met another friend in Krakow. And I think the reason I picked Krakow is because... So it's been getting a lot of press lately. It's a really hot place on the the tourist circuit. So it looked really beautiful, and (laughs) I kind of have... I don't know how to say this. Like, sort of a historical fascination with World War II, and I really wanted to go see Auschwitz. And it makes me feel really dark and weird <laughs> to admit this in a public space. Um, I think it all started because in sixth grade, my teacher, Mrs. Stevenson, who was this white-haired southern grandma, decided to read us Night by Ailey Wiesel, which is an odd choice for reading aloud to a sixth grade class. It is. Um, 
Did parents protest? No. Okay. I think parents were just happy we were getting read to, or maybe they didn't <laughs> notice <laughs> silent dinner conversations that night <laughs> as we were terrified. I don't know if anyone really paid attention. I just remember her soft, mm-hmm. grandmotherly voice reading passages like, and then my father and I was sent on a trail, wow. and we knew it would be leading to our deaths. And I looked past... I looked back, and my father had collapsed, and I knew it was the end of him. But I also knew I had to keep going. And now you're just like, now I'm like, what would I do if someone was reading my kids' stories about a death march? Yeah. Um, But it really positively affected me. It gave me a lot of empathy, and I really wanted to see the places that they were talking about. And I did, and it was very... um, as one would expect, like, emotionally moving and weird and horrific. So what specific places did you visit that were connected to tonight or to the Holocaust? I actually visited Auschwitz, which was a concentration camp outside of Krakow, about an hour and a half drive. And I learned that they picked Poland for the extermination camps because it was well... It was linked by rail um, to Hungary and to, um, you know, all the Mm -hmm. other Eastern European countries and because it was right in the middle. So that was one of the things that affected me most was the cold logic that the the Nazis used. It was in the middle. So it's the most convenient place if you're going to bust people in and exterminate a population. And I also noticed at Auschwitz, which was kind of disappointing, was everyone on my tour, with the exception of a few people, were all older. Like, they were all gray heads, and I kind of feel like they know what happened. They lived through what happened. And it's really important to get the younger people to realize that, because to them, it's just an abstract concept, unless they have family who, who were involved in these events. We did have one very strange couple with a huge camera who were taking far more than a casual interest in um, photographing things, mm-hmm. like photographing random things like crematoriums and barbed wire fences and stuff like that. And uh, they would take smiley pictures in front of stuff and... Mm-hmm. Um, one guy was walking towards the wall, the, the man of the couple was walking towards the wall where the Polish political prisoners were shot, and the woman was basically like, hey, babe, turn around, it's- and he smiled, and they took a picture, you know. So um, more people have to visit to sort of, I don't know, to sort of negate that behavior. Right. Um, the woman who led our tour, her grandfather was in a, in a concentration camp for five years, which was unheard of because the average time someone lived when they got there was three months, and he met her grandmother in Germany after they were liberated. Um, Her grandmother was a cook in the hospital, and they fell in love. So it's still, like, it's very recent history, and I feel like there's... It's being forgotten. So just to back up a little bit, if maybe you can take us through like how these tours even work, because I think there is something interesting about kind of the industry that is built around tragic events and tourism. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I don't know, I think everyone kind of 
or I feel sometimes conflicted. Like, I want to see this, but do I want to, you know, gawk at it kind of thing? And it seems like you had people that were gawking at it and then, you know, other people who wanted to learn more. So, like, was it through a company? How many people were in it? Do you stop for lunch? Like, what? Um, I went through a company called C Krakow, which also does tours. Usually you combine um, these tours with a day at the salt mines, which is crazy. Like, they're building sculpted out of salt, and people get married there. It's all very strange. And um, has nothing to do with the Holocaust. No, nothing. Okay. <laughs> just in the same area. And I just picked this company company randomly. There were about 20 people on our bus, but I think we had a group of 100. Like, there were multiple buses. It was very busy. Okay. Um, it's very well conducted like you get headphones and your guide will talk to you through your headphones I think we had an exceptional guide Mm -hmm. because she was so emotionally involved but she spoke in a very detached manner because I guess she does this every day I think her name was um, Marianella maybe and she was great so that's you just go to a tour stand like around the main square and make your reservation they pick you up at your hotel um it's very easy, very yeah. easy to get there. It's like forty bucks. So, and how long did the tour take? It took seven hours. Oh, so it's a whole day. It's a whole day because it's an hour and a half there, and then you go to Auschwitz and you go to Birkow, I think the name is, which is another camp that is not as well preserved. But then you actually go inside the barracks, so it's actually kind of a little more impactful, I guess, in my opinion. And she walked, our guide walked us through, like, the death march. Like, here's where people would get off the train. Here's where they would ransack through their belongings. Here's where the women and children would go to the gas chambers. And it was very depressing, but at the same time, I felt like it was abstract. Mm-hmm. I think the the place that I learned more and that kind of affected me more was the Schindler Museum, which is mm-hmm. right next door to Krakow's amazing modern art museum, too. So hit them both. Because the Schindler Museum at Schindler's Factory, Schindler was Schindler's List, who saved a bunch of Jews by using his business connections. And I thought it would be a museum dedicated to him, but it was it outlined all the steps. Like, first this happened in Krakow, and then they moved the Jews here, and then they moved them to the ghetto, and then they crammed more of them in there. And that, to me, like, I just responded more to the cold, hard logic than, like, the emotional pull of the actual concentration camps. That, like, people could stand by and watch this happen, or not even realize. Like, part of it was so subtle that I could see myself living in that time and just going with it. You know, like, oh, it's another government policy, you know? Which is scary. Yeah. <laughs> and it is scary. I mean, there is something eerie about knowing that there was some bureaucrat creating spreadsheets, you know, for yes. the extermination <laughs> of people. Right. And that was their day-to-day right. life. And yeah. looking at short-term and long-term goals. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so besides the Schindler's List Museum, do you feel Krakow was a city that memorialized World War II quite a bit, or are they just trying to bury it in the past? I feel like Krakow strikes a good balance. It's also a very artistic city. It was founded around 1200, so it's a very historical city. It's beautifully preserved, and I think that aspect of it, the Holocaust aspect of it, is there if you're looking for it, but it's not in your face. Okay. So I think they strike a nice balance of making it available, but not 
obligatory. Okay, so before that, you went to England, where you also had another gloomy experience, albeit in completely different ways, and not nowhere near as um, somber, I guess. <laughs> no, it was it was more snarky than yeah. somber. So I visited Banksy's Dismal Land, which is a riff on um, the Disney theme parks, but it's it's like anti Disney. Okay. So we waited in line, we got misdirected everywhere, and the point of Dismaland is just to make it miserable. So we <laughs> waited in line for a long time. The ticket process was surprisingly easy. We got tickets online. Mm-hmm. We drove to Weston Supermare, and you go in and you're frisked and yelled at by, like, state police figures mm-hmm. who yell at you. Like, they yelled at my friend for smiling. Because if you smile, you're suspicious. Okay. So they're like, no smiling, no having a good time. And you walk in, and they're unwinnable games. Like, they have something where you not have to knock over anvils with a ball. Like, knock the anvil over, win a prize. Right. Um, there's, like, a duck pond with boats. But the boats are either police boats or boats filled with migrants. Like, teeny oh. tiny migrants. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um... What else? There's a merry-go-round, and one of the horses is hanging next to boxes of lasagna because there was some scandal with horse meat being in ready-made meals okay. in the UK. There's a Ferris wheel, and when we got off and thanked the guy, the guy was like, just get off. There are, People are really mean to you. The Disneyland yeah. staff is really mean to you. There's a sad stormtrooper who walks around <laughs> just looking sad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Punch and Judy show, which is, like, basically puppet show. Like, people used to watch these a long time ago at Seaside Resorts in England, and it's basically a domestic abuse. Right. So, <laughs> do you think the people around you saw Disneyland as a critique, or do you think the tourists did not get that deep into the exhibit? People brought their kids. Okay. Yes. That answers that. <laughs> We were we were in line behind a toddler, mm-hmm. and there were a bunch of strollers, and I don't understand why people would bring their children. He's, Banksy says on the website, not yeah. suitable for children. But people, you know, don't care. <laughs> That's interesting. Just because from, I mean, from the things you mentioned, it seems that he or she or the collective that is Banksy <laughs> um, is really kind of trying to criticize certain elements of of you know, world society or UK society, but I don't really know if anything I've read about it actually points to that. It's more just like, oh, look at crazy Banksy criticizing Disneyland. But I didn't know about the migrant boats, for example, which is very, like, timely and topical. Yeah. 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 Um, And there's a gallery. Like, there was a gallery with a bunch of art, and it was all socially critical. Like, I don't know. It's not a place where I bring my children. Yeah. There's a cut-up aerial. Like, there's a burned-out Cinderella's castle, and you go inside, and Cinderella's coach has been overturned, uh-huh. and you see her body hanging out of it, and there's, it's surrounded by paparazzi. You know, it's a yeah. statement about Princess Diana. Huh. So that's not the kind of thing I'd want my child to see, unless it was a very dark child and right. I deemed it appropriate, you know? <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Is it something you enjoy? <laughs> see, here's the thing. 
we we did enjoy it and we kind of laughed about it like when people would be rude but then it's it's built on the english coast and right next door is a pier which is sort of the equivalent of navy pier and a beach like we saw little kids in Disneyland playing in a sandbox while their parents were looking at stuff and were like, why aren't you on the beach with your child? Right. Sort of thing, which I think is kind of part of the critique. So we yeah. actually, it was like a cloud lifting. Um, we went and got fish and chips, and then we went and, like, played on the pier. You know, right. and got ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, it did make me feel sad. It made me feel sad about the state of the world. <laughs> this is my, like, state of the world sadness vacation, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was the whole migrant issue, like, a few days after I left with all the migrants um, being booted out of Hungary, Mm -hmm. which has an increasingly, like, anti-immigrant government, which I didn't know. Okay. So, like, Auschwitz, Dismaland, migrant crisis. I'm like... (laughs) I feel like... You could write a literary fiction novel with some sustained metaphor throughout with those three things. I feel like I feel that way too, but I had fun. Like it was a good time. <laughs> of course. And now you're in Chicago. I am. Yeah. I am enjoying the last day of summer. Nice. So, and you tell us about your fabulous trip to Lima, where you also experienced some weird emotions. I did. So I went to Lima, which is my hometown, because my brother got married, and. I know Lima sounds super interesting and exotic and amazing to non-Peruvians, but I react to it the same way most people react to the suburban hellhole they escaped, you know, here in the States. Um, Well, the interesting thing about Lima, though, is that while I was away, it went from being a very chaotic, kind of overlooked city to a very chaotic super touristy city it's actually the the what is it the number one travel destination in latin america beating out rio beating out mexico city even beating out certain european capitals like madrid so do you think it's beating out rio and mexico city because both of those cities have reputations for like high crime I don't know. I don't know if it's a case of other cities kind of being down on their luck. I feel like it's both. You know, there's other cities that have kind of, you know, been in the news lately because of their bad reputations. And then Lima has just been on the way up for a ton of reasons. First is at some point people stopped fearing going to Peru and they began going a lot to Cusco, which is the nearest city to Machu Picchu. But in order to get to Cusco, you have to have a mandatory stop in Lima. There are no direct flights to Cusco from international cities, as far as I know. So I think before people would skip Lima or just stay there for a day, but sooner, you know, but slowly people started staying there for longer. And I think word got out that Lima actually has quite a bit to offer. But besides that, just Peru's economy has been going surprisingly well for the region which means that a lot of international expats are there for business reasons. There's a lot of conferences that are now being held in Lima because it's central to most of like Latin America. You know, it's like we're right in the middle of the continent, basically, and more or less a three-hour flight from all the major Latin American capitals. So I just think it was this whole confluence of factors that turned into this like Lima tourist boom. 
And what, what are some of the results of this Lima tourist boom? On the one hand, you see foreigners now, which is interesting. I'm not lying when I, like, I want to say up until I was maybe 18 years old, the sight of a foreigner in Lima was very strange. They tended to be either the super hippie adventurous types, and they would only be, you know, smatterings of them, or just non-existent. But now we actually not only have a ton of tourists walking everywhere, we're starting to get a big expat communities, especially from mining countries like Australia, South Africa, Canada, States, and we also have a ton of immigrant communities from more down-in-their-luck Spanish-speaking countries such as Spain, Argentina, Venezuela, and Colombia. So that's one thing that has been really interesting. It's a, I, I know this sounds odd, especially maybe to an American audience, but we were very closed in to a certain extent just Peruvians lived in Lima Peruvians were the ones that went to Lima and now we see you know an invasion from everywhere which is super exciting other things I mean there's Lima has always had a super lively food scene so that is still going on over the years the government has invested a lot more in museums and art and culture so there's quite a few new museums that have opened up within maybe the last five years that I visited Probably one of my favorites was Mate, which is the Mario Testino Museum. Um, Mario Testino is an international photography sensation. He's taken pictures of Princess Diana and Kate Moss and Gwyneth Paltrow and has been shown and, you know, his photos have been published in Vogue and all these other high fashion magazines. Turns out he's Peruvian. What? I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> Peruvians knew this, but no one else in the world knew this. But yeah, he's Peruvian. Actually, childhood friend of my mom. So what? Um, yeah, I know. One of those strange things. She always tells me he was always very artistic. And at some point he went to England to be, I don't even know if to become a photographer, but he ended up there and that's where his photography career began. So he's opened up a museum to expose his work, but also there's other exhibits that exposes, um, you know, the, the work of other artists, both international and national. And it's small, but it's super beautiful. They have a whole wing dedicated to Princess Diana where you can see um, her last shoot, her last photo shoot before she passed away. It's so weird that Princess Diana appeared in both our trips. Sorry. It's, it's our link. It is our link. <laughs> um, and I've been obsessed with her since I was like three years old. I remember oh, really? I remember getting in trouble because I cut up my mom's magazines uh-huh. and she hadn't read them yet because I yeah. wanted the pictures. Oh. <laughs> well, anyway, so yeah. his, he was actually um, the photographer to, to, to shoot her for the last time, for the last official time. It was for a Vogue spread, and this was maybe one or two weeks before, before she died. And so they have pictures of that shoot, you know, in this wing, and also um, one of her dresses on display. And it was, I mean, the, the pictures are beautiful, you know, and they kind of say there how both Prince William and Prince Harry said it, it they're like, you know, they're their favorite pictures of their mom because it's where she seems the most natural as opposed to, you know, the most princessy or whatever, however she was confined to be. And to be completely honest, she looks glowing. Like, in all those pictures, she looks happy. And um, it's it's a great little museum. I think it only costs about 10 soles, like, it's, which is what? 
three dollars maybe i don't even know yeah <laughs> i like to say that is our yin and our yang for vacations <laughs> i'm like she's dead and you're like she's glowing she's glowing <laughs> but she lives in our hearts um so that was one thing and then just uh a bunch of you know little shops and boutiques that i hadn't been able to um I went on the Metropolitano. What? Which links back to our public transportation episode where all I did was complain about Lima's public transportation. So here's an update. Um, (laughs) So the Metropolitano is kind of a, a bus, a bus corridor that goes through Javier Prado or on Javier Prado, which is kind of the largest avenue in Lima. So it connects a ton of, like the avenue itself kind of crosses a ton of different districts and neighborhoods in Lima. It it used to be, you know, a super dense, chaotic traffic jam experience. What the government ended up doing is they created a lane for this bus to go with different stations, you know, and you can hop on and hop off, obviously, on this bus. Um... So it's a bus, but it kind of works like a subway, if that makes sense. You know, there's, like, different stations that you can get on and get off. And you have a card, a metro card. What? Which, by the way, that's not how you get around most public transportation in Lima. The fact that you use a card is amazing. There's no guy collecting money? There's no guy collecting money. You don't have to talk to anyone. It's my favorite part. Um, And, yeah, my brother and I took it. From, you know, our house to the center of Lima, historic downtown, by car or by the normal buses, which are these, like, little vans that kind of zigzag around the city. It would have taken us about 45 minutes. But with this kind of super speedy bus lane situation, um, we got there in, like, 15 minutes. Can we just call it the super bus? Yeah, I'm going to call it the super bus. <laughs> um, so that was super fun, and it seriously made me feel so much better about life in Lima. And having said that, Uber also works in Lima now. I understand that it can have very controversial, you know, it can be controversial in the States depending on what city you're in because of the taxis. And, um, you know, there's been certain scary stories about, like, women being assaulted on Uber cabs but when it comes to lima because the cabs on the street are dangerous you almost always want to get a private cab and uber has made it super safe to use it there so you get this cabs guy's information obviously it's very fancy they open the doors for you they offer candy what <laughs> and, and other delights and bottles of water what i know <laughs> And you, you can, you know, it's great. You can also use your card on it, which is, which was, you know, really nice for me because you don't want to walk around Lima with a ton of cash. Um, so to have it linked automatically to your credit card the way it does here is really cool. And I just had a great experience. It was so cheap, too. Um, even though for Lima it's expensive, at coming from the States, it was beyond cheap. So just that, maybe being able to navigate around Lima again was just made a difference because before I would land in Lima, be afraid of the public transportation because it was chaos, be afraid of the taxis because apparently they would all kidnap you or assault you. And all the private cabs are always taken up and I don't know how to drive. And it's not like I had a car anyway. So I would end up being at home for two weeks, Mm -hmm. just at home within four walls, unless someone came to pick me up. And now I felt like I had freedom of movement. 
And that made a difference. There's another overlapping theme. Freedom of movement and how great it is. And how great it is. (laughs) On so many levels. Yeah. Maybe people don't... Yeah, maybe it's something you don't realize is so important until it's taken away from you. Mm -hmm. So it was good. I have to say I kind of reconciled with my hometown. I don't know if I'd go so far as to live there again for extended periods of time. But it did make me kind of want to stay there for longer and keep exploring more. Um, And where are you headed next? Next, I'm going to Ottawa for one last visit um, to see my parents who live there. And we're going to spend a night in Montreal and then another day and night in Quebec City, which I've never been to, so I'm excited. And then I have vacation time in November, about 10 days, I haven't decided yet, but I'm leaning towards going to Guatemala for no other reason than I just, it started popping up everywhere, I think, because they just ousted their president. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know what that's like. And that's usually how my trips end up being planned. Right? That's that's why I went to Krakow initially. Yeah. And the fact that if you use, um, I went to England on miles, and for the same amount of miles, you can choose... Um, a stopover anywhere in Europe. So I got to go, instead of just going to London and shook, um, and coming home, I got to stop over in Krakow. Nice. So, which is a good tip. I didn't know. And you can also do an open jaw. I was originally planning to fly from London to Warsaw. And then an open jaw means you fly out of a different city, but you have to find your own way there. So I was going from London to Warsaw, taking a train to Krakow, and um, flying out of Krakow. But there's never enough time. (laughs) (laughs) So where are you going next, Kathy? Well, in one week, randomly, I'm going to Thailand and Cambodia. Nice. I latched onto a friend's business trip, and I will be hanging out at her super fancy hotel. And then we will be going to Cambodia together. So I'm super excited. I never got to go to either of those places yeah. when I lived in Asia. So I kind of feel like it's full circle. Yeah. Do you have any other trips after that planned? Washington, D.C. Right. Our nation's capital. And that's mostly for work. But we always find time to squeeze in some fun yeah. whenever we go someplace. So Awesome. Well, we just wanted to catch you catch you up yes Yes. (laughs) (laughs) with our activities and our revamp um i know that i have written about lima extensively on the blog and kathy has also written about um dismaland i don't know are you going to write about krakow for probably yeah probably so if you want to um read more and find out more about our trips and our suggestions for those locations please visit the blog at xxwilltravel.com And if you like us, subscribe on iTunes and on Podbean and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do it all. Do it all. That's it. Go forth and travel.